Welcome to the So Much More Podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Amy. We've been married for almost 24 years. We have four kids. We live in the Dominican Republic. We're missionaries. We're both educators, have pastored together. And love mentoring others. Oh, and we love sharing our story. Join us for this real talk about how to get more out of this thing called life. Well, hey, welcome to episode nine of the So Much More podcast, Missionaries of the Caribbean. We're so excited for this series. I hope that you've enjoyed listening to our friends share their stories of how they ended up here and what God did in their lives before this and how obedience came into play for each and every one of them. So this episode, Amber Moore is joining us. She grew up in Humble, Texas which coincidentally is where Amy and I met many, many moons ago, working in a movie theater together in high school. Amber grew up there and then moved to Qatar in high school in the Middle East, then moved back to Texas to attend the University of Texas, where she graduated in 2013 with a degree in International Relations and Global Studies with a certificate in Nonprofit and Social Entrepreneurship, which that's a mouthful. That's a lot of stuff to learn. Uh, that has served her really well here at Macarios, where she has been for a year and a half here in the Dominican Republic. She's currently our director of sponsorship, and that's such a vital role for what we do here in the country and really with Macarios as a whole because so much of what we do is funded through sponsorships, child sponsorships and, and local staff sponsorships. And Amber has been a director and is leading that program so well, and we're excited to have her on team. She also leads our missionary transition program. So basically, any new staff that's coming to live here in the Dominican Republic, there's just a lot that goes into that transition of moving an individual person or a family sometimes like ours. And so all the details of helping a family or a person get used to that, get ready to move, once they hit the ground, Amber is vital in helping them get settled and just learn how to live in a new place. And so she does that very, very well. It's been a blessing to our team. Uh, she's been a teacher as well and actually interned for Macarios many years ago in our Austin office uh, before she eventually got involved in some other things and then and then came on staff. And so you're going to love her story. There's so much in here. I can't wait for you to hear it. So we want to say hi to our friend Amber. Welcome, Amber. Hi. I remember when I first met you, Scott and I were here with a team of teachers, and it was in like the beginning of November of 2018. And I had messaged you before we came, and I was just like, hey, we're going to be there, and we really want to meet you. And you came up to the school, and we we sat there and did all the, like, tell me about yourself, and how's it going? And you were just, like, so full of sunshine and big smile, and but you had been here for, like, just weeks. When did it, When is it that you actually arrived in the Dominican Republic? I arrived in October of 2018. So, yeah, I had only been there for about a month when I met y'all. And you were living with a Dominican family. You were like all in with the Spanish. You were just all in. I was. It was complete immersion for me. And it worked. I mean, you think it about did. 
like how much you have assimilated into this culture and with language in such a short amount of time, it's kind of amazing. I mean, I would say I'm, I'm always learning. There's always so much more to learn about a culture and a language. Um, but I feel very fortunate to have had the privilege to live with a Dominican family and have that, that awesome relationship with them. And, oh, yeah, even though it was so challenging, it was so worth it to me. It was really encouraging um, to meet you because that was the same trip when I told Scott like at the end of the week, hey, I think we're supposed to move here. So it was really exciting to to get to know the people we were going to get to serve with. So that was awesome. So I I know your story and I'm a story kind of girl and I know your story and I know how it is that you ended up just giving your life over to ministry and to doing international missions as a career. And I want our friends to hear your story too. So why don't you start with Maybe like early faith or, or early on, maybe even in your life when you started to feel like you were supposed to do something different than just teaching school, which is what you were doing. Yeah, I would have to go back to um, to high school. Um, I had lived overseas in high school, and so I just was very passionate about other cultures and learning other perspectives. So, yeah, I think just having that global perspective. And then for me, like I had grown up in the church, but when I was 18 and went off to college, that was really when my faith became real. And I felt like that was when I decided like, oh, I I understand more what it means to follow Christ. And like, this is what I want to do in my life. Like, this is the, the path that I want to follow. And so those two things kind of coupled together my passion for learning about other cultures and yeah, just wanting to follow Christ started my journey in international missions. Um, I would say, yeah, when I was 18. So you went to UT and I, we were talking about how you got your degree in international relations with the global studies. And I'm just curious as like when you chose that as your major, what is it that you were hoping to be able to do with that degree? Yeah, so I was interested in, I guess, international development in general. So helping on a, in, a, in a place where there's a lack of resources and helping people to have more opportunities. And I was specifically interested in education. So what that would look like, I, was, I wasn't sure at the time, but all the classes I was taking, um, I took a lot of classes on nonprofits and, yeah, just international development yeah, so I don't think I had a very clear vision, but I knew what I was interested in is I wanted to help provide opportunities for for other people because um, I know that I had had so many opportunities afforded to me and how that helped with my just life. So you graduated from UT, University of Texas, with this degree. What was next after finishing up school? I, um, in my Last year's school was really focused on Haiti. I had um, one of my like last research projects. I had done it on um, specifically with the country of Haiti. I had taken French for lots of years, and I wanted to to go overseas. And yeah, it was a, it was a dream for me. And so I applied to a program. Ended up moving after I graduated, and. I worked for, or I was a volunteer with an organization um, outside of Port-au-Prince, 
and it was it was so it was a whirlwind, right? Because I, I moved to a new country, learning uh, Haitian Creole at the time, because French is the official language like of business and government, but um, everyone speaks Haitian Creole, and you know, spending lots of times with the kids because it was a it was an orphanage and a school, and I was working with their special needs program. So it was just a whirlwind of of change and. It was exciting because I was getting to do something that I felt like I was meant to do. And yeah, I was so inspired by all the people around me that even though they're faced with such such obstacles, every day was just resilient. They were resilient. And that was so inspiring to me because I was like, wow, I haven't faced these types of hardships. Like, So I was, yeah, I was just inspired a lot. Um, unfortunately, Whenever I was there, not too long in, uh, there was a series of traumatic events that happened around me. And after seeking counsel, I decided um, to return to America um, earlier than like my time commitment. And for me, I mean, this is a huge part of just my journey in missions because at that time, oh, it was it felt like a failure. It felt like I had pursued this dream, and I really felt like God had. Um, opened the doors for me and all of a sudden it was it was kind of like it was taken away and for my 22 year old self it was absolutely devastating and I felt purposeless and there was a long time of healing but that was goodness that was like six years ago that that happened and since then I've seen God's faithfulness and redemption in so many ways so it wasn't the end of my story but it it was a it was a huge part of it. I have two questions just based on your experience of going to Haiti and just the experience of how you took a pivot and you came home and, and it's not what you, like the story you would have written. It's not what you had mm-hmm. planned or what you thought. And the first is we're talking a lot about just obedience. And so you choosing to go and serve in Haiti was you felt like you were obeying what God was telling you to do and what he wanted you to do. So when mm-hmm. you sought counsel, when the, when the events happened and you sought counsel and you knew also, okay, now I need to go home, how is it, I mean, and then, like you said, fresh 22-year-old mind, not you necessarily looking back, um, but in the moment, do you remember your feelings about like the obedience part? And like maybe questioning it, or maybe you didn't question it. Yeah, I think at the time it was, it was, I was in such a dark place. There was, I felt like I had been obedient. And for me, it had felt like abandonment at the time. Um, and for a season, I mean, there was a good six to eight months after that where I just kind of walked in that season of feeling ab- abandoned. And it wasn't until after that I looked back and, and saw all the ways that, that God had provided. There was a verse that God had given me before I moved to Haiti that gave me a lot of peace because I, I know that moving to a new country um, in the unknown comes with its risks, right? And every country right. Um, has its different levels of risks. But I, I really had peace about it. And I had focused a lot on Psalms 31.5, which says, uh, into your hands I commit my spirit. Redeem me, O Lord, the God of truth. And so to me, it was really just a submission to God's will for my life. Like, 
I knew that, okay, I don't know how this is going to turn out. I'm excited. I know that you, you put this passion in me, but ultimately like I put it, my life in his hands and I trusted God. And I think that's the biggest thing with obedience is, yeah, is trusting that his plan for you is like for his glory and um, is for your good, you know? So going back to Haiti, you, first of all, I was going to ask you, you, uh, you know, like when you get ready to graduate from college and you tell your parents, Hey, I'm moving to Haiti. Uh, I'm curious kind of how that conversation went. Like what were their thoughts initially? And then you talked about obviously feeling like that was a step of obedience to, to go there and begin ministry there in hindsight, six years later, when you look back on the the experience and the decision of having to leave, do you how, how does obedience play into that? Do you have a perspective now looking back that that was just the next thing God had you do, like for your own safety and because he had another plan in place for you? I mean, I know it's easier to look back and see that maybe at the time it, it wasn't, but how do, how do you reconcile that now as you look back six years ago? In terms mm-hmm. of obedience. And I'm also curious, like, what did your parents think when you said you were going to move to Haiti? Yeah, so um, I'm really blessed with very supportive parents. And um, they have a unique perspective because in high school, you know, like, we had lived in in the Middle East. And in a lot of people, that that was crazy to, to even move to another country on the other side of the world. Um, and so they knew the, the, the critique that they got when they moved us or moved um, me overseas. And they, they just trusted God as well. And I know it sounds crazy because if I was in their shoes, I would have never like let my kids go to another, like that would be hard. I realize that's a hard thing to just release. Um, But for some reason they've, they had peace about it and they just trusted God with my life. And I'm just so thankful for that because I know that I'm getting to do what I'm supposed to and not being held back in that way. How does, how does that experience and then kind of leading into your connection to Macarius, how did you see obedience play into all of that? So the area, the kind of that time from getting back to the States, figuring out what was next and then leading into your involvement with Macarius, kind of talk about that period of time. And what steps of obedience in there that you can re- recall making as you trusted the Lord? Yeah, I wish I had some great answer to this. During that time period, it honestly was putting one foot in front of the other and just keep going. Because I, I had really lost the will to want to continue on because I had just tied up so much, I think, of my identity in, in that dream. And... Um, so, I mean, one thing is I, I, like, started going to a church or, like, I found my home church that I'm a part of in Austin. And I remember showing up to a small group. I was just all these really wise women that um, were so sweet. <laughs> and I, I kind of was just like, yeah, this is where I'm at. Not sure how I feel about God right now. I feel kind of abandoned. Yeah, this is just who I am. <laughs> and they were like wow, thank you. Welcome, Amber. And we're so glad that you're here. Yeah. And they just loved me. So and they, 
they were really wanted the transparency. <laughs> oh, well, I saw that they were very vulnerable, yeah. and I was like, wow, they're so authentic. And it gave me permission to just be like, this is where I'm at, and it sucks. Yeah. And they said, we're here, and we're going to love you wherever you're at. So it was a, even though it was a really dark time, there was a lot of healing that happened under the surface that looking back, I see um, in hindsight. What a blessing. Oh, yeah. I love my home church. And I know your story. So you, you're like us, and you just kind of like fell into teaching. So then you taught for a few years, right? Yes, I did. Um, I taught for four years at a, a middle school in Austin, and uh, I taught a few different things. So actually, my connection with Macario's predates my time in Haiti. My um, senior year of college, the founder of Macario's came to, and talked to my nonprofit class. We had a lot of different guest speakers. And I remember she was, you know, sharing a little bit about her story, a little bit about Macario's. And I was just like, how do I get to know someone like this and live a life like that? And so I reached out and I um, started interning with Macario's in the Austin office that, that spring semester. And I always thought, wow, I love exactly what Macario's does. If there's anything, like, when I end up overseas, I want to do exactly what they do. Um, but it's like at that time, remember I was, I had been taking French. I was focused on Haiti and I had no interest in going to the DR. That just wasn't my, it wasn't on my radar. And um, for those of you don't know, the DR and Haiti are on the same Island, but they're completely different cultures, different histories, influences. Um, and so for me, it's a such a large learning curve um, with learning another language and culture. And at that time, I, I just didn't, it didn't cross my mind. Anyway, so fast forward, I would run into uh, different Macario's employees, different places in Austin. So it was kind of like little touches of, hey, remember us over here, Macario's? Um, I would sometimes go to their galas and... There was one of the significant times was I was on part of the greeting team at, at my church and uh, the founder, again, Sharla, came walking in with her boys and I, I greeted her and I was just kind of like, hey, what you doing here? You know, because I knew she had been going to a different church and they took a vision trip. And when, once I saw that kind of playing out, it was an an answer to a prayer, really, because I had said to myself, I don't want to go overseas again unless my local com community is connected. Because before, whenever I, I came back, I was so incredibly isolated, having gone through something so difficult and nobody really understood. And it was just so isolating. So I was like, no matter where I go, I want my local community to be connected. And so it really opened up the door um, and then my fourth year of teaching, it was one of those years where the second week in, I was like, oh, no, I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> and then I had to teach for nine months more. Yeah. And, oh, it taught me a lot about perseverance. <laughs> Bless those children. <laughs> oh, yeah. And they, they hopefully they survive. <laughs> um, 
I survived, so yeah. that was really good too. <laughs> yeah, no, no one was harmed in the making of this film, right? So, I no. I, I totally identify with you because I our similar our stories are similar. Amy and I both having been in education, and it was probably my last nine months to a year of being in the school that I already felt like God had moved us on. Like my heart was already in ministry, but I had a commitment. I had a contract and we didn't have all the exact answers yet, but I knew he was leading us out. And man, those were some tough months. I look back now and realize it was only like part of a year. It wasn't as terrible (laughs) as I felt, but a man at the time I couldn't just, I just couldn't wait. Like I got to get out of here. I got to move on to the next thing. So I feel you. Okay. So you, Fourth year, you're ready to get out of there. Um, God's confirming, like opening doors. You've met Charlotte a couple times. You've interned. God starts then, I'm imagining, putting this fresh, like, vision in your heart or this fresh, like, man, it's a a new calling. It's or maybe just a refreshing of your calling to jump back in. How, How did you make that decision, that step? To say from from coming back from Haiti and saying, "Wow, um, mm-hmm. you know, this was a failure. This was this really crushed my identity. This crushed my plan, my call." To three or four years later, now you're ready to get back into it. So tell us how that process worked in your mind. Yeah, um, I had had probably it was like yeah, it was like four years of stability on in some way, and I think I really had needed that just to build up community and yeah, just have stability after just the, the experience that I had. And so super thankful for that. I could have never predicted that that door would be opened again. It, it really did something to me in a, a positive way of just dreaming big. I, I think I've heard you mention before the circle maker, the, the book. Yes. So yeah. So just having these big, hairy, uh, audacious prayers and I had a friend that last year of teaching that was just really inspiring. And she was just like, yeah, what are your, your big Harry Anderson's prayers? And I was like, I think it's working for Macario's. Like, that would be huge because it would take a leap of faith. It would be opening up old wounds and letting God heal those. And, yeah, it was like allowing myself to dream big while in knowing fully that it could be ripped out from under me again. And to step into that place was scary for me. But over time, I mean, he, he just opened up the doors. And the summer before I moved here, I got to meet with so many people to, um, you know, fundraise and share about just the vision of Macarius and why I was so excited to be a part of it. And, I was talking to um, one of the groups at my church one time and before I was preparing, I was talking to one of the deacons and he told me after I shared about the verse of like Psalms 31, five into your hand, I commit my spirit, redeem your Lord, the God of truth. That that had been my verse before Haiti. He was like, you do realize that Jesus said on the cross into your hands, like, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It was a surrender into God's will. Right. Wow. And it was the first time that I had put two and two together that I had to to lay that down, to lay that, that dream down um, and realize that, like, my hope was in, was in Christ, was in God. Like, I had to, like, I was his. Um, I was not 
my dream, right? That wasn't my identity. Um, and if I put my hope in anything else, I'm just going to be disappointed because everything's going to can fall apart. Yeah. Um, but God is faithful. And so, and then he told me, he's like, yeah. So Jesus said that on the cross and he died and he was buried, but then he rose. Yep. He was resurrected. And I was like, oh my gosh, God is so kind. He literally is resurrecting this dream that I thought was just put into the grave. I thought it was a bookend. Mm. And for me, it was the biggest boost to my faith to just feeling like God cared for me. And, and knowing that like I'm putting the dream in his hands because again, it could be ripped out from under me. Like my hope is not living on the mission field. Like that's not where my hope is. My hope is that I get to live for Christ and wherever that is, but that's where I'm going to find life. And that's where I'm going to find joy, not in just like my work. So that was very powerful for me of just like, seeing that scripture come alive to me and how it played out in my own life. I think it's, I think it's a powerful story, man. What a blessing that he spoke that truth to you and, and that perspective you gained from that. I think something you said that I'm, I'm wondering for people listening that are, you know, maybe not feeling called to be missionary that, you know, this, this series is about the idea of obedience. It's not saying, man, look at, look at these missionaries who've made the ultimate sacrifice, who've made the biggest step of obedience that anybody could ever make. It's not. It's a different, it's a different thing for every person. It's a different call. It's a different purpose. And, but what, I, what I've found, I think, in my own life, too, and, and listening to others is, man, like, I want to be obedient. And so you do, like maybe you stick your neck out there like you did way back and said, okay, I'm going to go do this. And then it didn't work out the way you thought. And very quickly we go to, wow, okay, God. And I've been through this myself. Okay, I did my part. You didn't do your part, right? Because it didn't turn out Mm -hmm. the way that I was expecting it to. Or or I had to go through some really difficult circumstances and, and like you led me into this. And so now I'm going to kind of hit reset and go back to doing things, you know, like my way. I've tried the whole step of faith and obedience thing, and, you know, you had your chance, God. And I think it's hard for people, especially when you've been through something like that, and, and so much is tied to that, to where, like you said, you're, it has to be resurrected. It has to be refreshed in a new way. And then you have to step back with the perspective that you have, you have now, which is, wow, it's not, it's not that get, things are going to work out the way that I want them to or, or expect them to. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that no matter what happens, regardless of the circumstances, that he's faithful. And he is asking us to look for that next thing, that next opportunity to be obedient, and that next opportunity to trust him and grow in our faith. And I just think a lot of times it's, it's easy for us to, to tap out and say, hey, I tried, didn't work out, so now God just kind of let, let me be. I'm going to do my thing, and I'll be a good person, and just don't rock the boat too much because I don't know that I can handle another one of these type of experiences. And so anyway, I think yeah. your story is such an encouragement to me and others that, wow, there is, there is hope that if we just continue to find his face and have a willingness to 
to take that step, whatever it might be, that, that there is healing that comes and there's purpose that comes and opportunities to, to be involved in, in what he's doing. So that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that part. Amy, what's, what you got? I'm curious when you talk about not just one act of obedience, but that there were several acts of obedience along the way. And there's going to continue to be acts of obedience, right, every day. But I'm curious as to those really big ones, those big ones that you would, like, put markers down when you look at the, your timeline of, like, life and your faith journey. Um, mm-hmm. How do you see those acts of obedience changing the way you follow Jesus or your relationship with Jesus? How have they changed because of those acts of obedience? Yeah, I think, like, for me, it comes back to building trust the one when you were talking and you're you know the markers in my timeline I think of whenever I came to Macario's on a vision trip and I think it was in in the spring of 2018 and I remember seeing everything and I was just I was still deciding you know if this is what I was going to do and I had met a lot of people and I was just going over in my head And this time I I had lived in Austin for quite a long time. So just the different friend groups, you know, my church, like all these different um, support systems that I had. And I started to think about giving those up or leaving those behind, being far away from all my friends and family. And I just kept going over that passage about the cost of discipleship and like, you really got to count it up. Um, and, and it's really hard to count something up of what you feel like you're sacrificing. If you have no idea what you're gaining, there's, there's no way for me to look into the future and see what I'm, I'm gaining. But there's a trust there that if God has asked me to do other things and I've done them, and, you know, it turns out different, different times, Right. But then I see his faithfulness over and over again. It's going to help me to trust him more and more with bigger things. And so whenever I was, I remember I was in the Mac house and just journaling it all out. And by the third day I was here, I I knew, I knew that I was going to be moving here. But I could not just wrap my mind around all that I would have to sacrifice. Because I really loved, I mean, I love my friends and family. I don't want to be separated from them. That's hard. But it came down to, okay, but do I trust that this is for God's glory? Do I trust that this is for my good? And it, and it came down, you know, like it came down to me believing that that's, this was God's call in my life. He was leading me here and kind of just counting it up and being like, okay, but I trust you, God. Yeah, that's your perspective on the cost. I mean, you think about scripture and Jesus talking about the cost of discipleship and the cost of following Jesus. And, uh, and it's different. It's, I mean, it, there's some commonality there. I mean, we all, it, it, everybody, anyone who's serving, living in another country, working somewhere, serving as missionaries, moving across the state or the country to go do something, you know, you're, there's always a cost involved. It's relationships. It's it's familiarity. It's it's comforts. But it, but there's that moment in your journey where you have to, you know, like you said, you're kind of weighing that out. The cost versus the benefits of wow, what 
what can God do through me? What does he want to do in my own life? And how does he want to use me, even though I don't feel like, you know, I don't know that I'm that useful, but he's called <laughs> me to be there. Um, and certainly it comes with some sacrifice. But, wow, you've, you've also experienced the other side of it, um, and that is the, the great reward of being part of, of his work. So um, mm-hmm. two questions in one kind of, kind of led into that question. So what would be the most rewarding thing about being here in the Dominican Republic, and what is one of the most difficult things? So most rewarding and most difficult about being here. I would say the most rewarding is the friendships and relationships that I've gotten to build um, with students, with families, with my coworkers. I feel like I work with the best team ever. And so, yeah, I, I just think that this culture is so community-oriented, and I've just learned so much, especially from living with a Dominican family. I, I thought I knew what generosity was. Uh, but it's just a whole new level. Like when you have barely anything, but you'll share with your neighbor out of the little that you have, it's just, it's convicting uh, in so many ways. And so I just feel like I'm constantly learning and my paradigm has shifted so much from living here about um, a lot of different things about community, about generosity, about being a neighbor, (laughs) loving your neighbor, loving God so I, I would say, yeah, the most rewarding is just getting to get to know people and see other perspectives and, and learn from others has been so rewarding for me. And the most difficult would be that I operate in a different culture and different language that's not my native language all the time. And so it pretty much feels like I'm I would equate it to like writing with my left hand all the time. (laughs) Like nothing that I do is ever easy. I mean, I've been here for over a year and a half and I feel comfortable in Spanish. Like I could go days just talking in Spanish, but there are so many things in the day where I'm like, that was just awkward. I didn't know how to navigate that. Or (laughs) man, I really wish I didn't get stared at like that. I just know that I'm not functioning at my full capacity if I was in, as if like I was in my own culture and speaking my native tongue. Um, so just that reality that I feel like a toddler a lot of the times. <laughs> it's just, and hoping that it's useful, the, you know, what I do. Um, but yeah, that it's just feeling weak is the hardest part. <laughs> yeah. And just yeah. so y'all know, one of the things Amber does, um, that is really a big part of our, our ministry here is helping new missionaries that land. So like we got here six months ago, seven months ago and have had others land since. And so Amber, even though only a year and a half in, she, of course, the feelings of inadequacy and like a toddler and all that are, are real things. They we're right in the middle of it right now, deep. But uh, Amber has done an amazing job herself of acclimating to culture and language and then is turning around and helping the rest of us learn. And so it's just an encouragement to us, knowing that you've been there and you've got a lot of patience and understanding and, and encouragement to say, hey, y'all got to keep going, you got to keep going. It is awkward, and you don't feel nearly at your capacity, uh, but just keep pressing forward. So that's a great encouragement to us. Uh, thank you for doing that. 
Okay, mm-hmm. so kind of along the same lines as the rewarding and difficult, but very specifically, what have Dominicans or Haitians taught you that while you've been living here, like something that you've learned from them that you know that you will take home with you years from now? I think it has to do with generosity. It's, I mean, I have seen so many times and I've experienced, I've been on the receiving end. And then I also try to mimic it too, of when you, you make food, you like share it with your neighbor. If I am in a, you know, walk into a group of people and I'm eating something, it would be like, okay, I'm going to share this. I literally, I think it was maybe like five grown men. I saw split a candy bar because they were all together. And I'm just always baffled by like, okay, well, if I have something, I'm going to share it with you. And um, I think coming from an American mentality of, you know, self-reliance and independence, it's just so different for me, I'm just more community oriented. And I just feel like I've learned a lot from my, my coworkers and neighbors and like, I want to, I want to take that home with me, you know, making those connections with people around me. And maybe someone would think I was really weird for bringing over like half a sandwich or something. I don't know, but I really hope that I take that back with me when, you know, whenever I, in the day that I do go back. It's refreshing. The generosity is Refreshing, for sure. Um, okay, what is your favorite thing about living in the DR? And this can totally be, it could be anything. Think big, think, it doesn't have to be deep spiritual. It could be totally superficial, random, just something that you love about being here. Yeah, I'm going to have to go with the beach. I love the beach. It's, um, I don't get to go enough. I feel like we get busy and I... It's so close, um, but I love being able to go just get the fresh air, and sometimes, like, with coworkers, we'll take a bike ride and go to just, like, the local public beach and have a picnic or something, so it's it's just a part of life here, and I love it. It is great. I've been missing it. Yeah. I have, too. Yeah, as we're recording this, we are still, actually, as of today, they have refreshed our quarantine for another 25 days, I think. So uh, it'll be a little bit before we get back to the beach, but we are super close, and it's been a blessing for us and our kids, too, uh, to be able to go. Uh, Something you missed from the United States. You've said, you've already talked about friends and family, so don't say friends and family or your home church, because we know those are assumptions, You've, you've mentioned those, too, but... Something else, something, again, it could be totally random, superficial, something that you wake up in the morning, like, man, if I was back in Austin, Texas, I would be able to do blank or have this or eat this or what is it? What do you miss from home? <laughs> okay, it's really simple. Hot, high-pressure showers. Amen. <laughs> you know, wisdom, I mean, obedience and hot showers and hot baths. So really a hot shower. That's it, huh? With hot, with good pressure. With good pressure. It's very Because I, it, I sometimes, like, we have a uh, a hot water heater, but the, having the high pressure and the hot water is very important. And it's not always hot. Anyways, so. 
Having both would be amazing. So much so that some of our missionary friends have joined the gym, the local gym, (laughs) because they have high-pressure hot showers. and I guess they get to work out, too, but it's all really for the shower. So, all right. That's fun. Um, Okay. So, I do have one more thing. Like, we want people to be able to follow your journey. But before we get there, I... I hear you talk about the things that you've learned in your journey. And when I sit and I listen to your story and I think about that period of time, young Amber going to Haiti and jumping all in and then having to come home and struggling with faith and obedience and calling and just all of those things. And yet you still relatively short amount of time came to a place where you were willing to do it again. To, to take a step of obedience again. And all I can think is how brave that is. And that I know my friend Amber, and you don't always feel brave. But the truth is, is that this entire journey, the entire journey could only happen because you were brave and you trusted your Jesus. And I just think it is a beautiful encouragement for anyone who gets to listen to your story. And so thank you so much for sharing it. And there are people who are going to want to follow your journey because you're so awesome. So what are some of the best ways that someone new to you, that they don't know you yet, um, could start to follow your journey here? I would say the best, first of all, thank you for saying that. That's super encouraging to me and good to remember. If someone would like to follow my journey, the best way would be through my email updates. I tend to share more stories in there and just general updates and lots of pictures. I wish I could say I update things a lot on Facebook and Instagram, but I'm not as consistent there. So I would say email updates are the best way to follow my journey. Okay, we'll put the link. You you gave me the link for it. I'll put it in the show notes so if someone wants to follow you they can join in on that all right and before we go part of the reason we we want to share these stories we want people to to hear them and be encouraged by them Uh, and we also want to give people an opportunity to get involved and to pray for you and to support you and so we're going to put those links there as well but before we go part of your job your primary job here as director of child sponsorship is to lead our sponsorship program so tell us real quick like in 30 seconds how does child sponsorship impact the ministry here and how can people get involved in that oh oh i would love to talk about child sponsorship so sponsorship i mean is an amazing way to encourage a student in their journey and um, helping them to think bigger than what they even had thought for themselves. You get to encourage them through letters and um, it also provides for their education. So with child sponsorship, everything um, from their school supplies to their backpacks and um, uniforms to um, school operations, transportation. So it's, it's how our school Uh, functions. Um, We wouldn't be able to do it without sponsorship. So it's meeting a need, but also getting to be a part of a child's story and helping to encourage them in their faith and just their journey um, and getting to empower them and give them more opportunity. That's awesome. And you're doing a great job. And man, the opportunities to be able to connect with students 
and families and impact them and invest in them. Uh, we've just got so many stories of how God is using sponsorship to, to change kids' lives. And thank you for leading that. We're going to put a link on our show notes as well that you can read about child sponsorship, pray about it, consider jumping on board as a sponsor. Uh, it will change your life while changing a kid's life as well. Amber, thank you so much for sharing. Thanks for being vulnerable and transparent with your story. We know that it will encourage others out there. Again, all of her contact information and links will be posted in our show notes. I hope you'll follow her. Consider as well jumping on. She's a missionary like us and depends on monthly donors and supporters to fund this thing. And so if God leads you to it, consider jumping on her support team to help her be... Uh, to be able to stay here as long as God would have her to be here. So again, thank you, Amber. Thank you so much, Amber. Thank you, Scott and Amy. It is a pleasure to be here. All right. Well, we'll see you soon, Amber. Thank you. Man, it was such an encouragement to hear her story. I hope you've enjoyed that. I hope you'll follow her and reach out to her uh, and consider supporting and praying for her. Look, here's the thing. Here's the takeaway for me from her story. And there's so much in there and there's so much we can learn from it. But the part of her story, as she was coming back home from Haiti, and in that time of searching, of that time of of prayer, of that time of evaluating, like, what was it that happened? What what was I doing? What what was God leading me through, and why? There's just so many questions. Uh, And you probably have been through something similar to that, A, a period of questioning, a period of, man, I tried to do it the right way. I tried to be obedient to what God was was asking me to do, and it didn't turn out the way I hoped. And man, what encourages me about that is that she kept going. Yes, it took some time of healing. Yes, she needed time to focus and be refreshed and restored back to a place of, of confidence in herself and confidence in the Lord. But then he, he put her back on the path, and she had a willingness to do that. And it reminds me in Philippians 3 where Paul is saying, I press on to take hold of the prize. Like, you forget what's behind, and you keep moving forward. And it's the idea of a runner. It's the idea of an athlete that's just pressing forward with everything they got, leaning into where it is that God is leading them, knowing that the ultimate reward and the ultimate prize is the glory of God and eternity with him. And it's just a step. It's a step of obedience. I want to encourage you, if you've been through something and you're wondering, man, can I do that again? Trust in the Lord and take that next step. Whatever it might be, take it and know that he is faithful and he will continue to use you and teach you whatever it is he wants to teach you through the good and through the bad. So, Amber, thanks for sharing your story. We really loved it. Again, folks, I hope it will encourage you along the way. How about a challenge, Amy? I have a challenge for us this week. And as we we keep saying is that we can share encouraging stories with you about acts of obedience and steps of obedience and what it means to obey. But in the end, if it's not pushing you toward obedience or toward continuing to obey, um, then is it worth it? I don't know. I mean, it's still worth it because the stories are awesome. But what we want is for you to be encouraged forward in your relationship with God. So this week's challenge is to spend some time praying or reflecting. If you're a journaler, is that a word? Journaler? Journaler. 
Uh, it can be. If you are one who journals, journals uh, that's what I'll do. If you are one who journals, you could do that. Just look at different areas of your life. And I want you to ask yourself, is God asking you to be obedient in one of these areas? Okay, so I want you to look at yourself. What are some things? Just start writing, start praying, reflecting. Is there something that God is asking of you? That in regards to yourself, maybe it's a job change, maybe it's uh, pursuing something, it, it could be anything, right? Or maybe in relationship with others, is there an act of obedience that he's asking you to do in your relationship with other people? Or maybe it's with the local church, is it time for you to start serving or a ministry that's in your community? And he's saying, hey, I, I want you to go work in the kitchen, or I want you to work at the food bank. Just being open to What am I doing for the people who are surrounding me? Um, And then others in general, if we're going to love God and love others, what are some acts of obedience you can take in order to love others well? And then finally, I want you to spend some time and, and say, God, how is my obedience to you? Am I doing the things that you're asking? Am I being an obedient child of God? And if not, what am I supposed to do with that? So spend some time reflecting, how is it going in those five areas, and what is it God's asking you to do next? It's a big one. It's a big challenge, but it's a good, good challenge. Hey, great challenge. And again, thanks for listening. Subscribe if you haven't. Share this with friends of yours that might be encouraged by it. Uh, send us some some comments, some reviews. You can you can let us know what you think. If you have any suggestions on maybe some topics coming up in the future, we'd love to hear them. In the meantime, we thank you for your time. Thank you for listening, and we hope that uh, you'll listen again. And we really hope that your acts of obedience and your steps of obedience will encourage someone this week. God bless you. Take care. 